0: You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Each year, the United Nations rates the happiest places, the happiest countries in the world. And they base it on factors like freedom and generosity, lack of corruption, healthy life expectancy, and social support. Scandinavian countries have been dominating this happiness, uh, happiness rating thing for a while now. In fact, the number one country in the world, happiest place in the world, based on the UN rating system, is Finland, followed by Norway Denmark, Iceland, and Scandinavia, or Switzerland, excuse me, Switzerland. It's all Scandinavia. The United States is 18th. Woo. Yeah, if this was the Olympics, we'd not be happy, right? But the truth is, there are places in the world far worse than 18th. In fact, we know that some of the very poorest countries and some countries where there are war zones, such as Yemen and Syria, have the lowest scores on this rating system. As I mentioned, the United States came in 18th out of 156 countries surveyed. And the truth is, we've actually been trending downward over the last decade. Although the pursuit of happiness is preserved in our founding documents, there's no guarantee that we'll actually achieve the goal of happiness in our lifetime. The report mentions obesity, the opioid crisis, and persistent poverty as reasons for the recent decline in U.S. happiness. The truth is, happiness is fleeting. It is, it's fleeting. One of my favorite authors is Bill Bennett, former Secretary of Education and the former drug czar for the United States. He writes, happiness is like a cat. If you try to coax it or call it, it will avoid you. It will never come. But if you pay no attention to it and go about your business, you'll find it rubbing against your legs and jumping into your lap. That's kind of how happiness is. And yet we persist to think that fame and success and money will guarantee happiness, even though we have all these examples to the contrary. Think about it. Tiger Woods had it all, but he wasn't very happy. Amy Winehouse, huge success, ends her life Robin Williams, Prince, Whitney Houston, Michael Jackson, the list goes on and on. People who it all success, wealth, all kinds of money and fame. And yet, happiness seemed to elude them. Happiness often withdraws from those who pursue it, and yet it comes instead as a byproduct when we least expect it. A search for happiness on Amazon, just the Amazon site turns up more than 263,000 links. So many people are searching for happiness, but not really finding it. We have access to so much in the way of possessions and entertainment and education and travel, but we still aren't fulfilled. We're 18th in the list of happiest places on the planet. So here's the question. What about you? Are you a happy person or are you still searching for something more? It's kind of interesting because the Bible doesn't talk a lot about happiness. It actually talks a lot more about joy. And truthfully, there's a difference between those two. Happiness and the word happy and happiness are used only 27 times in the Bible, whereas joy and rejoice are used 320 times. Joy has a deeper meaning than happiness. Happiness has to do with what happens to you. Happiness fluctuates according to circumstances. And joy, it overrides circumstances. Joy is an inner sense of well-being. Simple definition. And its joy still is always going to be there even when circumstances are unfavorable. That's why the Bible commands us to rejoice always, because we can. Because joy isn't relegated based upon what's going on in your life. You're not always going to be happy, but you can always have joy within. There's a sense of contentment that gives stability, even through difficulties. Joy comes from a conviction that, despite present circumstances, God is in control and will save those who belong to Jesus I find it kind of interesting, the Apostle Paul's comment in his letter to the Corinthians. He said in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, he says, In all my troubles, my joy knows no bounds. Paul's saying that his joy actually was expanding. Even even when there were difficulties in his life, his joy continued to abound. That makes sense because God's always in control, and Paul knew that. So this joy that we're going to talk about this morning is another one of these gifts that God has given us. In this series we called Unwrapped, the, the real gifts of the season, we're going to look at joy as one of those incredibly valuable gifts that God has given to us. This joy that we're talking about was actually announced on the day that Jesus was born. You find this in Luke, the second chapter, if you want to follow along with your, on your Bible or with your uh, smartphone. Just to give you a bit of background, there was a census that the Roman government called, and Joseph went to Bethlehem, and in the process, he also took his wife-to-be with him. They went to Bethlehem because that's where Joseph's uh, people originated from, Bethlehem. what was called the town of David. And so they went there to register for the census, to get counted in, their, in the home of their ancestry, and there's another important point that you need to know, and that was that Mary, Joseph's wife, was expecting to have a baby. In fact, the King James says she was great with child. I found that kind of a humorous statement. What guy would ever say to a woman, you are great with child? <laughs> you know, you might find yourself unconscious if you do that. Just don't note there. It's free. I'm not charging you for that. That's just free information. But she was pregnant, and while the couple was there in Bethlehem, She gave birth to a son, and they named him Jesus. And we pick up the story here in verses 8 and 9, and it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. In the social circles of that day, shepherds were considered the lowliest of the low, the least educated of men. These were common ranch hands who were despised by the local elites, men whose skin glistened with sweat, whose clothes gave off the stench of the fields in which they spent almost all of their time in, those who lacked the most basic manners and used language that was unfit for children's ears. These were those minimum wage earners of the culture of that day who were unlikely to be admitted to any respectable function or establishment of that time. But on this night, this night that Luke records, they were favored above every other person on the planet. These guys, no matter how the culture saw them, were chosen by God to be the recipients of his messenger that brought a message to them. No one else. They were the first. Isn't it just like God to say, the world may not place much value on you, but I do. And I'm going to tell you today the most important news ever. And it's coming to you guys first. Verse 10 says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Luke noted that they were terrified in verse 9. They were terrified by this angel's visit. But the angel says to them, Don't be afraid. It's all all good here. And then the angel announces that the info I'm about to give you is going to be good news. And it's going to bring about great joy for every single person. And then the angel lays out this epic announcement. Look at verses 11 and 12. He says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The angel said, today, today in the town of David, today, it means this day. I'm announcing to you what is happening today, at this moment, this day, this this section of sunlight on the planet, today. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah. Can you imagine for centuries the nation of Israel had been waiting for the Messiah, and now the angel announces to these shepherds that he arrives today. I wonder, have you ever gotten news that was so awesome, so incredible, so unbelievable, that for a while you didn't even believe it was true? Have you ever had that happen? If you haven't, just watch this video, you get an idea of what we're talking about. Surprise! We're gonna go on an airplane. is even... it's, it's early. <laughs> it's four in the morning. We're gonna go on an airplane. We have a huge surprise for you. I'm so excited! Hold on. What? Guess what? Guess what I have to tell you. What? No yeah. school for that's nine that days. That's blue thing. What? Your laptop's in here. I barely was able to get it in here. Is it going to be hard to pull out? Uh, yeah. okay. Hey, come stand over here. we very special for nine days. We are going to Disney World. We're going to Disney World in Florida. We're going to ride on an airplane and we're going to go see Mickey Mouse. <laughs> They're like in shock. What? The, the news is so amazing. I love moments like that. When the, the, the message is, is so incredible that it takes a moment for it to even sink in, right? And when it finally sinks in, the response is truly incredible. When you get great news, it can be a source of great joy. And that's definitely what, what was true for the shepherds in this occasion I imagine the shepherds were pretty pumped up when they saw that angel. And then they heard his announcement. But just in case they weren't all as excited as they could be, God lights up the entire sky with a host of angels who are praising God. Listen to verses 13 and 14. It says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's safe to say that God had their undivided attention at this point for sure. And then, all of a sudden, as quickly as it happens, it's there for a few moments, and then the skies are dark again. And only thing there are the stars and the moon. And then we read this in verse 15 it says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, The shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. The energy isn't gone. There's still this excitement. we got to go check this out. This joy, as much as it meant to the shepherds, it wasn't just meant for them, though. Remember what the angel told them. I bring you good news. What was the news? It was about this Messiah that was going to come. That will cause great joy. What's the joy? The Messiah is going to set us free. He's going to save us. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Did you catch that? The announcement means that this joy was not just for the shepherds, but it was for you and me as well. It was for all of mankind. Much later, Jesus, the adult, just at the close of his ministry is going to talk about this joy. He's going to explain it to his disciples. So I want to fast forward a little bit into the life of Jesus to John, the 15th chapter. Verse 11, this is what he says. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Did you catch it? Sometimes the verse makes sense in itself, right? But other times, you can't understand a verse without understanding the verses that came before it, and sometimes the verses that come after it. In this case, Jesus says, I have told you this. Told us what? Told us what happened in the verses before. He said, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So we need to back up just a couple verses Let's look at verse 9 and 10. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as my Father, just as I have kept, excuse me, my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, I want to take just a few moments. We'll just hit the pause button for a second. And I want us to dig into these two verses, 9 and 10, because they give us context for what verse 11 is talking about. He says, Jesus explains that the amount of the Father's love, there in verse 9, the amount of the Father's love for the Son is the amount of Jesus' love for his disciples. That's a lot. And the responsibility, he says, of the disciples is to remain in his love. Now what does that mean, remain in his love? Well, he goes on in verse 10, and he says, this is how you do it. This is how this is accomplished. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. It's kind of interesting. To remain in Jesus' love requires that we keep his commands. The example Of all of this, this Christian obedience that Jesus is talking about is Jesus himself. He says, just as I have kept my Father's commands. So, obedience that he's talking about here should not be something just as, you know, simple compliance with a set of regulations. That's not what he's talking about. This is not just, you know, checking some boxes and saying, okay, I'm good with God now. I've kind of covered the criteria. He's talking about a heart thing here. It has to do with your heart. I remember hearing a story a long, long time ago about a family that had gone to dinner at a really nice restaurant, and their youngest child was a little boy, and he was extremely unruly during dinner. He kept standing up on his chair trying to entertain people in other parts of the restaurant by his little antics. And he thought he was funny. He was really annoying. And the parents were horribly embarrassed. And so they kept telling him, sit down. Please sit down. Finally, he ignored their, their pleas. The dad got up and he walked over and he put both hands on his shoulders, shoulders of his son and he set him down with a little bit of force to send a message to stay seated. To which the little boy was really angry and he's got this scowl on his face and he looks at his dad and he says, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. I think that's the way we are with religion today. Is that It's oftentimes really easy for us to look like we're standing for something religious on the outside, where on the inside, our hearts are not with it. This story is a great example of how we can do these kinds of things that seem to be expected or required, but our heart just isn't in it. Obeying God's commands starts in our hearts. Keeping God's commands should be seen as a wholehearted commitment to a way of life that comes from God and expresses the nature of God. You see, what's on the outside should be what's on the inside. Let me say that one more time. What's on the outside should be what's on the inside. Now, there's a key point to all of this when we talk about obedience to the commands that God has given us, and that is that obeying Jesus is not oppressive. You need to know that. It's not. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 11:30, "For my yoke is easy," and a yoke was the kind of the body of work or the teachings of a rabbi. It was often referred to as their yoke. And so he says, "My yoke is easy and my burden is light." But Satan doesn't want you to think like that. He wants us to think that obedience to the Bible, the directives that God has given us is restrictive and completely unfair. You should have freedom. You deserve it. You shouldn't be bound by the directives from some ancient book. That's Satan talking. In actuality, though, this obedience frees us to become everything that God intended us to be, that someday we will become if we faithfully follow him. In the meantime, we find that the enjoyment of each day is determined by our willingness to to allow our lives to be directed by the will of God. So take note of this. Keeping God's commands requires us knowing his word. How do you do that? I became convinced by the Bible itself and the testimony of a close friend many years ago that reading the Bible was important. I finally crossed that point where it was, I realized how valuable it was to an individual. Not just me, but to anybody who would invest time in reading God's Word. So I made a plan, and I determined that I was going to spend time reading his Bible every single day. Every single day, reading God's Word. Sometimes that meant getting up early in the morning before my family was up. Sometimes it was late in the evening after they had gone to bed. But one of the things that stood out to me in those first several months was that probably about the third month, I started to notice a change in my life. While I was talking with people about spiritual matters, verses would come to my mind that seemed to fit the narrative or the dialogue that we were having. Now, some of those verses I had learned a long, long time ago, but a lot of them were relevant, relevant uh, relatively new verses, and all of a sudden now they were at my disposal to be able to be used. These were verses that I had read or studied, some I'd even memorized. And I was able to use them in the conversation. Also, hearing God's word on a regular basis helped me to be more effective in following God's plan, his directives for me. Especially when it dealt with sin, because it was, it was clear, it was delineated for me in a, in a real clear manner, because That was sin and that wasn't. And I could see that it wasn't as blurry as sometimes it had been in the past. God's word seemed to illuminate what was the right direction to go. I think it actually made me a better husband and a father, a better son and brother. I think it actually even made me a better friend and minister. And I've never regretted it, not for one second. I spent a lot of time reading his word over the years and it's one of the best things I've ever done I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 119 105 he says your word is a lamp for my feet a light on my path and that verse really resonates with me because that's exactly what God's word has been in my life so we get to verse 11 now After looking at verses 9 and 10, and we see Jesus kind of points out two key purposes that he has for telling his disciples these things that were in verses 9 and 10. Now just remember, refresh, Jesus loves us and he calls us to remain in his love. And the way we remain in his love is by keeping his commands. So we spend time reading his word, the Bible, in order to understand those commands then Jesus gives these two purposes. The first purpose for doing all of that is this, that my joy may be in you. Jesus had joy that came from being the Son of God in fellowship with God, an unbroken communion with his heavenly Father. And he wanted us to have that. Or maybe it was the joy that he had that came from doing the will that his Father had, the plan that God had for his life. He wanted us to, to have the joy that was in him and doing that for that to be in you and me. Joy springs from obedience and love and this joy can be in us as well. Jesus wants that for you. The second part of this, the second purpose that he gives us is that your joy may be complete. This is a little more complicated. This purpose is impossible possible this second purpose of your joy being complete in you, it's not possible without the first purpose being in you, being true, that your joy, his joy, may be in you. It may be in me. A relationship exists between the presence of the joy that is from Jesus and the bringing to completeness of the joy of the disciple. The life of the disciple is not an imitation of Jesus, but instead it's the result of Christ in his or her life. You see, our joy is his joy in us. It's not the result of pleasant circumstances. We've already talked about that. That's happiness. But instead, it's the result of a wholehearted obedience to the directives that God has given us. Jesus wants you to continue to share the joy he possesses. And that's when our joy is complete, when we do that. Now, all this conversation about joy is something to be experienced, but there's also another facet of it. Once you realize that you have joy, you'll eventually understand that you need to express this joy. In fact, the Bible makes it an imperative that we express it. In Philippians, the fourth chapter, which the whole, the whole book of Philippians is really about joy, if you wanted to do a deeper dive into this whole topic of joy. In, in the fourth chapter, the fourth verse of that letter, Paul is wrapping up his, this, this, this communication with the church in Philippi. And he begins by repeating the call to rejoice in the Lord. Look at Philippians 4.4, four says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Since joy is commanded, it's not a feeling like happiness. It's a mental attitude. It's a life stance. It's actually a choice. Happiness depends on what happens to you. But joy does not depend on your circumstances. Joy comes from a conviction that despite your present circumstances, God is still in control and will save those who belong to Jesus. Joy comes from a relationship with Christ and the promise of the resurrection and a partnership with other believers in Christ. Since all of this is true, Paul says to express it Rejoice in the Lord always, he says. Always. That word right there. You know in the Greek word, that, ha- that word has kind of a, a remarkable meaning. You know what it means? It means always. <laughs> you know Greek. Look at it. Isn't it amazing? It's the same word. It's what we think it means. It means all the time. What Paul is saying to the Philippians. We should express our joy all the time. Once it's there, express it. Maybe it's a public thing. Maybe it's a private thing. But you should be on a daily basis, not to box to check, but you can't help it because it's in your heart and you want to let others know. You want to let the Lord know. That's part of why we worship. It's just an opportunity to express our joy to the Lord. What a great gift. What an amazing gift. Well, we kind of left the shepherds hanging back in Luke The second chapter. So I want us to jump back there real quick and wrap this message up by looking at what happened to these guys when they got to Bethlehem. It says in verse 16 and following, So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, catch this, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The shepherds' encounter was amazing. To everyone they told it to, they were amazed by the story that they heard. And these guys, the shepherds, they were the very first to receive God's gift of joy. You see that there in verse 20, it says glorifying. When they returned, they were glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. These low-caste shepherds suddenly were on fire because of this amazing, amazing announcement that they were partner with and then the chance to see the newborn Messiah. That's what the gift of joy can do in a person's life. Let me close with this. When I was a youth minister many, many years ago, first five years of ministry were spent in youth ministry. And every year in those first five years, we would have a retreat for our seniors and our juniors. We'd do it in the fall. And every year, there'd be about 75 to 100 high school juniors and seniors that would go with us down to a little town in uh, the North Georgia mountains called Helen, Georgia. It's kind of like a microscopic Gatlinburg, if you could imagine. And we would go down there. This was a life-changing weekend for all of these kids. Well, one, one year, we were getting ready to load the buses to head down there. Epic weekend on the cusp of us experiencing it. And one of our high school seniors was standing there by the door. This guy was one of the most faithful guys. And he just was standing there. You could just tell he was bumming out. And it's like his girlfriend had just broke up with him or something and I, I, I knew this wasn't him. I mean, it was so uncharacteristic. He was always one of those outgoing guys, especially when it came to this Helen, Georgia trip. He wanted everybody to go. It was the greatest experience of his life as a junior. And he wanted, he wanted the, his senior year to be the very best. So I went over to him and I said, David, what's going on? Why do you, see, you seem so bummed? And he said, well, I'm just, I just realized that once I get on that bus, the retreat starts. And you know, before I know it, it's going to all be over. And the truth is, I'm kind of sad about that. And he's right. There are a lot of experiences in life that we look to and we kind of ramp up to and then we realize when it happens, it happens and then it's over. It's going to be Christmas morning for some of you. It's going to be all of this energy and we run right up to that moment and then the packages all get ripped apart and opened and cardboard boxes everywhere and then somebody's got to clean up all of that wrapping, right? And it's over, just like that. The retreat was something that you could get excited about. And David knew it was going to be great. But he missed out on one thing and that was that Happiness ends, but joy doesn't. You see, joy is way better than what David was experiencing. It never ends. You can live with joy your entire life. And when your life comes to its end, the joy actually gets better. As a Christian, you have been given this amazing gift of joy from the Lord that's yours because of what Jesus did on the cross. So live in this joy until Jesus returns or until your life on this earth comes to a close. Either way, at that point, you'll experience something even better. I've never left a gift that had my name on it unopened underneath the tree. I don't know. You probably haven't either. If it's got my name on it, I feel entitled to open it, and you should open it. Despite your present circumstances, joy comes from knowing that God is in control, and He will save you if you belong to Him. And it's made complete when you keep His commands in His Word. Joy is a precious gift from God. Don't go through this life without having opened it. Don't leave the gift of joy right there unopened. If you're a Christ follower, open that gift and let's enjoy every minute of it from this point to the end of eternity. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for the gift of your joy. We're living in a time when there's a lot of prosperity, a lot of people are doing really really well and there's a lot of people who are experiencing happiness and yet people are facing all kinds of challenges and hardships, many even in this room. Difficulties like illness and betrayal and rejection and failure, disappointment. And they lead to things like sadness and anger and hopelessness and despair and even even depression and and worse that you announced on the day Jesus was born that you were going to give us the Messiah which gives us the gift of great joy and God we say thank you today when we put our trust in you and we remain in your love your joy will be in us and it will be complete God thank you that we can have joy if we just choose Jesus and remain in him. Lord, I know there's some in this room who are experiencing the hardships of life and they feel as though this joy that I'm talking about is about as far, as far away and foreign as it could possibly be. And I just pray that they would look to you today and just call on you to refresh what the world has said isn't important or isn't possible. Help them to see the difference between happiness and joy and the fact that this joy we've been discussing doesn't, doesn't come as a result of our circumstances. It comes because of you. And Lord, for, for that one who's here today that's never put their hand in the hand of Jesus and said, I need you as my Savior. Please forgive me of my sins and wash me white as snow. They'll never know what this joy is about except for that decision to put Jesus the center of their life. I pray, God, today might be the day that they experience joy for the very first time through a personal relationship with your son. God, thank you for not leaving us out there, but taking steps to redeem us. Thank you for the birth of the Messiah, the good news and great joy that came as a result. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.